This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Good morning, everybody. My guest today is Santi Subatovsky. He is the currently a general partner at Emergence Capital. But before going to the dark side, he had founded AXG uh, TechnoExo, which was a SaaS e-learning company in Latin America. He expanded the company to 150 employees with operations across Latin America and the US. He also is a founding board member of Puente Labs, an organization that finds and selects the best founders and high potential growth companies from Latin America and helps them scale globally. He currently serves on the boards of Civitas Learning, Crunchbase, High Alpha, Quasar, Restaurantado, Top Hat, Zappo, and Zoom, the popular video conferencing software. Santi, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah. Thank you very much, Nathan, for having me. It's just a pleasure. All right. So, so, uh, so pick a baby here. What do you like more, being the founder or being on the VC side? I mean, being a founder, heads down. It's like being, I mean, running a startup, uh, it's my passion. And I want to think that Emergence is still a startup. Uh, we operate like a startup. We operate like a company. And the minute that we become an established venture capital firm, you're going to see me doing something different. Yep. So how does Emergence operate? Tell me about deal sizes you guys are typically doing and what your thesis is in general. Sure. So we've been uh, investing for the last 15 years. We're focused exclusively on B2B cloud. We don't do anything outside of that. We love doing B2B SaaS investments. We love working with those uh, entrepreneurs. We love partnering with great people. And we like to get involved when the companies have already that early product market fit and they're looking to scale sales and marketing. So it's typically a handful of uh, employees. They have a product. They have a few customers. Customers are loving that product. And the, the founder is looking to scale sales and marketing. That's when we jump in. So typical check size is anywhere between 5 to $10 million going in. It's a series A. And our ambition is to become the most important partner to the most important enterprise cloud company. So you're leading typically a series A. Yeah. I mean, we want to be that first call. When the, yeah. when the founders have good news, bad news, they just want to chat. They want to talk about the weather, they want to talk about whatever, we want to be that first call. On paper, is Zoom your biggest win personally so far through the firm? Uh, I mean, it's like asking me, I mean, I have three kids. Pick a a baby. Yeah, exactly. I can't pick a baby. I have a ton of fun with Zoom. Zoom is probably the later stage company that I'm on the board of. Uh, I have a ton of fun. I also have a ton of fun with earlier stage companies like Crunchbase. Uh, Everyone's familiar with Crunchbase and that's a company that's trying to build a business based on an asset that has been around for a long time. So I have fun on both ends. Oh, tell me more about, tell me more about Crunchbase. What asset are you referencing? 
So the, the database, so Crunchbase has become the system of record for private companies, and they have done that organically without any, any major investment or any defined strategy. It just happened overnight, over six years or seven years. And it was not a business. It was just a database that everyone used. So when we spun it out of AOL, we had the thesis that we could create a next-gen B2B database. So think of next-gen Dan and Bradstreet with a much more efficient and organic uh, data acquisition model. So think of LinkedIn, but for companies instead of for people. Santi, how did you, I want to understand the economics of how you took a core piece of technology and spun it out of a much larger company, right? Where this is like a, a rounding error for AOL. How did you identify the opportunity and structurally, how did you actually spin it out? Sure. So it, it, it was a long process. It took us, uh, I think, nine months. So it's, it's a baby, as you can tell, nine months in, in the making. It's appropriate. And yeah, uh, it was I mean, I think a lot of us identified that asset because we used it every day. The challenge was that for AOL, it was very hard to paint a picture where they could be winners in this new strategy. Because if we spun it, if we spin it out of AOL and it becomes a great company and AOL sells it for, I don't know, a couple million dollars, then people are going to look back at AOL and say, oh, you should have done it yourself. And then if we spin it out and we screw it up, it's again, why are you killing this great asset? So there's were no, there was no incentive at AOL to make this happen. So what we did, and this is where my startup, scrappy entrepreneurial mentality kicked in, we flew out to New York and we scheduled a meeting with Tim Armstrong, who was running AOL back then, and we just chatted with him and told him, look, this is what we want to do. We feel that there's a great opportunity here, and we want to do it together. Mm -hmm. So if this becomes a great company, then you're going to have a great success. It could be, I mean, Yahoo had Alibaba. This could be your Alibaba. It could be a stake in a great company. And that's why we structure a deal where we said, there's going to be part that investors are going to own. We're going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. That's your part, right? You were in that cohort? That's our part. Yeah. Yeah. We were the investors, the lead investors there. Then there's going to be a chunk that we're going to give to a new management that we're going to bring on board. And then there's going to be a chunk that's going to be AOL. So if this becomes a great success, then the new management is going to be extremely happy. Investors are going to be extremely happy. And AOL is going to be extremely happy. Uh, Mattermark played in this space kind of, and then, you know, crash and burn, despite having some pretty, you know, high profile investors behind it. Uh, why didn't Mattermark work? Uh, I'm not that close to Mattermark. I know that they were very focused on uh, the VC and investment sector. And we get pitched a lot of opportunities that are, uh, we're going to help you uh, create better return models for your investment. So you're going to help you track uh, P&Ls for your investment. You're gonna help, we're going to help you track cap tables. Investors are not a great market. I mean, we're very cheap. We don't like to pay for technology, and, and, and it's a small market. So it's going to be very hard to build a big company if you're just targeting investors. So that's why at Crunchbase, we're building something that we expect everyone to use, not just investors. And when we looked under the hood, what we noticed is that more than one-third of the use case for Crunchbase, the lookup use case, original Crunchbase use case, 
was, were not investors, were salespeople. They were using Crunchbase for prospecting. And that's what got us excited. One third was HR related, people in the recruiting space. When they were recruiting for companies, uh, prospective candidates were checking Crunchbase profile to get a sense of how strong the company was. And just, I think, less than one third of the use case were investors. Got it. Now, when you when you saw this, obviously to spin it out, uh, had you introduced a pricing plan at that at that time, or was it still free? It, it was still free, and we didn't want to come up with a strategy for Crunchbase. Our thesis was: there's a huge asset here that's growing organically without any direction. If we find a great CEO, they're going to come up with their own vision. So we didn't want to create a Frankenstein by deciding this is a strategy that we want to pursue. This is the asset, and then we're going to hire a CEO. Mm -hmm. We wanted to hire a founder, and we wanted that founder to come up with his or her own vision about what to do with Crunchbase. So we talked to over 85 CEO candidates for that process, and we ended up uh, getting, I mean, we were fortunate to get Jagger McConnell from Salesforce, who came up with a great vision, and his vision was basically, there's a huge market with LinkedIn was created this massive professional graph for people. There's nothing like that for companies. The closest thing we have to that is Dan and Bradstreet, which is a 100-year-old company. So if we could replicate the LinkedIn model and apply to companies within the Crunchbase ecosystem, that would create a system of record for every company in the world. Mm-hmm. That's extremely valuable. As I'm traveling the world on planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, guys hear it. I'm closing loads of different deals, whether it's buying a company, closing a new account for gitlatka.com, you name it, I've got to do it. And part of my issue is signing documents while I'm on the road. So I just found this new tool. I'm using it pretty aggressively. It's called Sign Easy. So you can get started for free at gitsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. You'll see contracts that I've signed there and boy, oh boy, are they big and they work and the app is so easy to use. Get started today at getsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. How do you go up against the other ex-Salesforce guy competing in this space and Jim Jim Fowler at Owler, which is basically crowdsourcing this kind of data? I I think what Crunchbase has that not every other company has is the power of the community. The amount of people that are using Crunchbase on a daily basis creates a huge asset because it's not only the data integrity, but it's also the ranking that we're getting on on Google. If you search for companies on Google, if you search for people on Google, Crunchbase is going to come up as one of the first results because of its data quality. And that creates an incentive for companies to update their profiles. Mm -hmm. So that the power of the network is something that is very hard to recreate. If you were starting from scratch, then you can create a great tool, a great platform. But if you don't have the history that Crunchbase has, it's going to be very hard to build that. Yeah, I mean, when I look at what Crunchbase is, the big, I mean, I'm sure the tech is great, but ultimately, if you throw enough money at it, you can get an engineering team to do the same kind of scraping, the same kind of, you know, et cetera, to build that basis, but no one will be using it. What you guys have that no one else has is you have the, um, 
contextual analysis via TechCrunch and other articles and other publications that use your data in a contextual sense. And that's what pulls people in. Would you generally agree with that? I, I would agree with that. Where I would disagree uh, is when you said that, yeah, the technology is great. If you think about it, Crunchbase was an orphan child within AOL. So there were no, I mean, they didn't have a lot of resources. So it just like grew organically. And if you think about an application growing organically with different teams touching it over six or eight years, I mean, it's unbelievable that the application worked. Over the last <laughs> couple of years, we rebuilt everything to make it scalable because it was a great asset when it comes to data, not necessarily a great asset when it comes to software architecture and also when it comes to business model. Yep. Tell me more about um, what you're looking at today. So we talked obviously about Zoom. We talked a lot about Crunchbase. How are you getting deal flow today? What data sources are you looking at? So for us, it's, I mean, it's a multi-pronged approach. As I said before, we operate like a company. So we track deal flow as a company would track their prospects. So we track top of the funnel, we track down to uh, meet partner meetings, down to Monday meetings, down to priority deals, all the way down to one term sheets. Mm. Uh, and the way we feed the top of the funnel, first of all, we're the only focused firm when it comes to B2B. We're not hedging, we're not doing consumer, we're not doing, not doing clean tech. We're just B2B focused. And that brings us a lot of great entrepreneurs who want to leverage that network that we've been building over the last 15 years. If you think about it, when an, an emergence entrepreneur needs help, they're not only going to get help from the sponsor who's on the board, but they're going to get help from everyone on the team. And when it comes to sales and marketing, we even have resources like Doug Landis, who joined us from Box. And he, he's been running sales enablement for companies like Box, companies like Salesforce, companies like Google. So he knows how to build go-to-market engines. So he works with our companies and he helps them scale sales. He helps, them, he helps those companies figure out pricing, quotas, helps them hire their first head of sales. And then we, we have Viviana Fega who joined us from Zenefits and she was running marketing for Zenefits, marketing for Yammer, and she was running marketing for, for Salesforce. And what she does is she helps our companies position their products. Because that's that's what we do. It's help scale sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And 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 if we can do that over and over again, the companies will want to work with us. And that's how we get all this deal flow. And we are also very proactive. We reach out to companies early on because we want to build relationships. We don't want to focus just on the transaction of funding a company. When we invest in a company, when we partner with an entrepreneur, it's a long-term partnership. It's a marriage. So we don't want to just spend two weeks, crunch through the process, and then make a decision. We want to build a relationship, and we want to make sure that we want to partner with the entrepreneur and that the entrepreneur wants to partner with us. So yeah. we reached out, and, and I, I know that I'm saying a lot of things here, but when I think of my role, I don't think of my role as a, as a uh, I don't know, as an investor, as someone who needs to deploy capital. I think of myself as a sales rep. And that's what's keeping me in this business. Mm -hmm. I'm out there all day long trying to convince the best entrepreneurs to take my money 
I'm trying to convince the best talent to join our companies, and I'm trying to convince the best investors to invest in emergence. Yep. So as long as I can, I can convince myself I'm a sales rep, I'm going to be doing this long term. What's the fund size? What was the last fund you raised and how much of that is deployed? So the last fund was $330 million and we're about 60% deployed. So we're probably going to invest in another seven companies. Got so it. each fund, we invest in 20 companies. Got it. And give me, the, give me the Crunchbase deal. I'm curious for the AOL deal. How much did you put into Crunchbase to get it spun out? So we invested $7 million. Okay. And you were the sole investors is, there? Well, we were the lead investors and then we invited uh, some other investors to participate with us. That's great. By the way, I have to tell you, because uh, you're an investor in Zoom, I turned on before this recording the, the touch-up feature. My gosh, this touch-up feature has you and me looking like Kim Kardashian. Yeah, yeah it's pretty neat. <laughs> people love it. Because it's pretty, I just realized it smooths out our skin. Yeah, people are very self-aware. <laughs> when, I mean, it's like I'm, I'm seeing myself in there. Yeah, so that's funny. At first, we refused to come up. I mean, we talked about Instagram filters. Should we come up with Instagram filters? And then we said, no, that's going to be too distracting. But then when it comes to touch-up, you just like, create a small effect. It's very little. Makes people, yeah, makes people a lot happier. No, it's obvious. All right, Santi, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Quick one-word answers here. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, famous, favorite business book, Candid by Voltaire. And I would Can, say it's probably- Candid? A, yeah, by Voltaire, which Great. is not necessarily a business book, but it's all about optimism. And in this business, being a founder or being an investor, you need to have that positive outlook on the world because you're going to get hit by a bus almost every day. Yep. <laughs> Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? I'm studying Eric Yon of Zoom. I think it's a pretty unique leader. He's a different leader, and I'm learning a lot from him. He created an amazing company, an incredible culture. And if we could have more of those leaders creating amazing companies, this world would be a much better world. If you want to learn more from Eric, just search on iTunes or on GitLatka. Just search for that interview. He came on a few weeks ago. It's fascinating to me, Santi, that uh, Citrix didn't give him the freedom. And now essentially he's cannibalizing GoToWebinar, which he also built and sold to Citrix. It's just hysterical. Yeah. And we love those stories when it's, someone's frustrated and they want to fix a problem rather than Oh, I want to start a company because I want to make a lot of money. Yeah. Number three, besides any of your portfolio companies, what's your favorite online tool? Uh, no, I can't do that. It needs <laughs> to be within our portfolio. Uh, <laughs> give, 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 me a, give me a non-biased answer. A non-biased answer? Zoom. I use it on my personal <laughs> life. I use it on my professional life. I use it probably like 30% of my work time. I'm on Zoom. Number Even within, within the company. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, six to eight. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? I'm married. I have uh, married for 11 years. Wow. Uh, we've been together for 20 years. And we have three kids, it's three boys, six-year-old, four-year-old, and a nine-month-old baby. And how, and how old are you, Santi? I'm 40. 40. 40 last year. Last question. Take us back to your 20-year-old self. What do you wish that he knew? Uh, that Silicon Valley existed. Growing up in Argentina, but my, my only recollection of the U.S. was, yeah, there's Miami, there's Orlando with Disney World, <laughs> and there's New York, and then there are mountains all the way through the, the other side. Uh, I wish I knew Silicon Valley existed, and I wish I had moved here to Silicon Valley sooner. 
There you guys have it from Santi again, focusing on his role as a sales guy, really, at Emergence, getting into great deals, supporting wonderful entrepreneurs like Eric at Zoom, the Crunchbase team in a $7 million spin out, and many other super smart entrepreneurs. Santi, thank you for taking us to the top. Nathan, thank you very much, and I hope you have a great, a great year.